is the West Side King's Church podcast, where we aim to encounter and embody the surprising grace of Jesus. Well, Tyson, we are um, kind of in that space now, post-sermon. Yeah. Um, there was a lot in that story about Peter and John and being at the temple and healing the man who can't walk. Uh, and so, you know, that that's out on the podcast now. People can listen to it if they weren't yeah. with us on Sunday. But I, I almost want to begin with the question today that we sort of snuck in in different places. What did you not get to in the sermon? What do you want to unpack further? Do you have like a list of, okay, here's what I wish I'd said better, or here's what I wish I'd said and didn't say? And we could even have a third category. What do you wish you didn't say and did say? <laughs> well, I made a joke about Shakira and hips don't lie. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. I don't know. But um, no, and I mean, you know, as we're talking, I'm sitting here with my notes as from prep, and I'm always fascinated by how much you cut mm. when I reopen my notes and go, oh, right, there's like books that I looked at <laughs> and made note of to say, oh, maybe this fits. And entire books have been cut just to try to, you know, make time on this. So there's lots of stuff that I think. And even when you look at the story of Peter and John, and we focused in on such a small, mm. in the grand scheme of things, yes, such a small aspect of the story, which is why, yeah. you know, being a teacher and wrestling through Scripture and being, you know, privileged to, to communicate it is is always exciting because you can come back to stories time and time again and continue to see different things and learn yeah. different things. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, you and I have had this conversation mm. in the kitchen this morning, even <laughs> as we, as we always seem to find ourselves processing and what did we teach mm. on and how would we do things differently? And the question that you raised that I was found really fascinating is, you know, that I think I was hoping to communicate and there's other stuff again that I cut mm. that I think probably, had we had two hours could get to um, around this idea of, you know, what what kind of, um, I'm trying to remember your language, what kind of disturbances are we willing to mm. kind of accept and, and be okay with? Yeah, how much Dis disruption? Disruption, yeah. that's the word I was looking for. How much disruption mm. are we willing to... Um, to accept, to see mm. kind of God's kingdom move forward in our own lives, you yes. know, as we work through this series on the disruption of the Holy Spirit and how that changes things. Mm. And so, um, yeah, there was tons about sight and how we try to see things, which, I mean, you can only go so far in painting specific kind of examples of the types of things that we can see. Mm. But uh, I was fascinated by the story and the subtleties within the story mm. around Peter and John and how much reference to eyesight is made throughout mm. that story. Look at him. He looks at, right? He looks mm. at them, doesn't really stare at them. Peter yes. invites him to make direct eye contact. And how Peter and John even posture themselves mm. in a way that is willing to acknowledge this man. And mm. that's some of the stuff that I even caught because uh, a guy by the name of Alan Scott does uh, has done a book called Scattered Servants. And I was fascinated as I was reflecting on the teaching and starting to think through. He talks a lot about our posture, mm. which would have been a whole nother sermon in and of itself. But even yes. how we posture ourselves to to look towards other, they go hand mm. in hand in some senses. Mm. We only have time to talk about just the sight, but yes. our posture in those ways of how we posture ourselves towards our cities. And Alan Scott yeah. talks a lot about, you know, how 
how God cares more about our posture than he does about our positions mm. in, in that way and how we position ourselves toward the, toward the cities that we're, you know, yeah. that we're a part of and how we, we were called to stoop low to wash the feet of the cities. And mm. I mean, there was all of that stuff that I would have loved to, you know, continue to unpack, mm. but you told me I was done. So, um, <laughs> I had to be done at a certain time. So, so, so I cut, I cut that part. And so I don't know, but yeah, yeah. you have any thoughts? I think, you know, particularly with the nine o'clock service, I think if you try to fit all that in, what happens is you're still teaching when the 11 o'clock service <laughs> turns out. You know? It's true. And, it's true. And that creates an awkward social encounter. It's, it's true. It's true. Where the people are trying to leave. And <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, I think I was struck by the ordinariness of the story as it begins. Um, and, and I think that relates even to the question of posture, perhaps, that the, the, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. So you know, I'm sure there's ways to dig into that deeper and, and wonder about that. But but there's also a level of this is nothing special. It's, yes. It's the time of prayer, and they're doing kind of what they do. Totally. <laughs> but there's, but are, are they, maybe that's the question, you know, are they doing what they do with their eyes open? There's a question perhaps it's worth asking. So do we go about doing what we do with a posture of, of open eyes? Uh, you know, like in totally. terms of thinking of that. But then totally. there's, a flip, there's a flip side. Is So verse 1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. So let, let's, let's park that sentence over there. Verse 2, now a man was lame from birth and being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to yeah. beg from those going into the temple courts. Yeah. So you park that verse you now say have has peter and john walked past this guy before well and uh, you get the sense that they have because as yeah. you continue to read it goes yeah. hey we recognize this guy yes we yeah. recognize that this is the, the guy, guy that, that always sits at the temple gate called beautiful and yeah. we we see him but now we see him walking and yeah. so there is this sense of they probably have walked past this man yeah. many times before so what changes today i think are interesting questions yes what makes today different and, and there's a there's a sense that, that what makes today different is that um, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money, right? So so there's that he actually initiates the interaction. Yeah, there, there is almost the idea in the text that that Peter and John don't make this happen. They're just going about yeah. their everyday lives, and somebody intersects them. Somebody let's you know sound like preachers for a second, but somebody disrupts them just going about their day-to-day life, but they seem to have openness because when the disruption comes, verse 4, Peter looks straight at him. So I, I found that whole sequence very interesting in this text. Yes. To, when I take the text and try and think, what does this mean for me? Yeah. How, how does this work in my own context? I, I, I find a, a sort of variety of things come to mind straight away. Number one, uh, let me, you know, maybe I, I don't need to go on a missions trip <laughs> in order to totally. do something for the kingdom of God. Right? Totally. Now, I'm not trying to make some anti-mission yeah, yeah. point. Hear me yep. well there. But so often our experiences of God come when we're dislocated, when we're not yes. where we normally are. Yep. But there's a normality and ordinariness to this particular story. So I found myself wondering about my posture in the ordinary. 
Yeah. Thinking about you've talked about posture. I, yeah. Yeah, that was sort of something that well, triggered me a little bit. Yeah, and it's it's a great point that or you make. Triggered make. my thinking, I think, is more appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, but it's an interesting point that you make even around missions trips because I think there's something, you know, people always talk about when they go on them mm-hmm. and they leave their city, they find themselves again with eyes opened in a new mm-hmm. in a new way. Why? Because it's new spaces. Mm-hmm. So you're aware to things that in your own city you may mm-hmm. be have become blind to they almost just yeah. blend into the background yeah. for a while yeah. you know we even did fire training recently and they're like hey you're gonna notice fire alarms for a while after this because we're talking about them yeah. and then they're gonna blend back into the yes. background and yeah. and i even was thinking about that as i thought about some of this stuff of the ordinary mm-hmm. where there's a lot of things that happen in our day-to-day life that blend into the background because we almost go into autopilot. Yeah. You, you know, I'm not sure how many people are consciously thinking about their morning routines and about their, the road that they drive to work. Um, right. Like, and then what they do when they get in the office and then when they get on the train to ride home, like it, we almost make these snap decisions just based on how many times we've done it, Mm -hmm. which is why I think sometimes it's harder to be aware of in your current setting than compared to when you go somewhere else. Because you go somewhere else, you go, I don't know the language, so I've got to listen really carefully. Yeah. Sometimes, oftentimes, you don't know the language, not all the time. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't know the language, you're listening really carefully. Mm-hmm. If you know you're going into a culture that thinks about other things differently, mm-hmm. you become more aware of, well, how am I presenting myself within this situation now? Um, you know, I've been to some places uh, like El Salvador and Costa Rica, and I know I cover my tattoos in those places because culturally they think differently about them, even as what it means as a follower of Jesus to have tattoos. So I cover them. Um, you become more attuned and aware to the surroundings that are, you know, that are happening in the world that's happening around you. Whereas, you know, in this situation with Peter and John, it would. Pro- I'm guessing and speculating. It's probably pretty easy to walk into the temple at three in the afternoon because that's the set time when your religious time is happening to have this, you know, this time together. And so you almost don't think about what you're doing. We do it when we come to church, I'm sure. You walk in and you come to church. You know where the coffee is. You walk to the coffee. You you know, you see some of the same people. you, You say hi. You have your favorite chair. You hope everyone knows that that's your favorite chair and you don't have to find a new spot. But when we find a new spot, if someone is in our chair, just to push that even further, it becomes disorientating in some in some ways because we go, well, now I'm seeing this from a different spot. Mm. And sometimes we see new people that way. We see different things. So I love that, you know, what you're talking about is this posture piece um, uh, and talking as, I mean, I took that way further with probably just a throwaway comment from you on, on mission trips, but I think it makes a, mm. a big difference in where we, and how we see God working, which is why in the ordinary and in the everyday, I, I actually think it takes a bit more work for us because we're so used to what we see around us that we have to become aware and actually slow down enough to think about mm. what are we doing? Where am I going? How am I seeing my surroundings mm. at this point in time to become aware to where God wants to work where we are most of the time, if that makes sense. Mm. The, how do you cover your face tattoos when you're in El Salvador? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a... Uh, that's just a shameless attempt to make people watch the YouTube video. Yeah, that's right. When they're like, does, does he? I don't think he had face tattoos, but maybe. Did he get a new one before the podcast? I don't know. You'll have to watch to find out. Um, so I, you've kind of 
brought up some other thinking. You know, a few times we've taught, we've caught in a, a, a series that's gone over a few years at Westside on habit. Uh, yeah. We, we jumped into part of it earlier on this year, and I was thinking about Charles Duhigg's work on, uh, in his book on the power of habit, and, and he talks about how our brains are, are, are quite lazy. And they're constantly trying to streamline on us. So, so when you go somewhere new, like a mission trip, everything's new. So you have to pay attention to everything. Yeah, it's also why you're so tired at the end of the day, right? Yeah, because everything is new. And so, the human brain doesn't particularly like everything new all the time. And so, what our brains are constantly looking for is patterns. Yeah, because when we can see patterns, we can start ignoring things. Yeah. So tie that into what you were saying about our, you know, we did fire training and, and, uh, and Rob, who was training us, sort of asks, you know, hey, where's the fire pull, uh, the alarm pull in that room? And all of us who spend a lot of time in that room are like, uh. There was a long, awkward silence <laughs> up to where the and fire alarm is. everybody's yeah. trying to, you know, yeah. even you can even tell by where we're looking with our eyes. Totally. You know, trying to recall from our memory, like, where, where is the fire pull in that room? Because at some point, our brain has decided to stop paying attention to that. Yeah. And, and, and I'm yeah. struck by kind of all of these ideas coming together, fire training, Duhigg's work on habit. Well, um, even Gladwell's work on in Blink that we yes. did mention on the Sunday. Yeah, exactly, about how we try and streamline our thinking, which leaves you in a place like we see here, where this guy's there every day. Right? Yeah. And everybody knows he's there, but somehow he's become it's become possible to just walk past and not do anything about it. Totally. Right? And then this, this intersection happens where, where Peter sees differently. It, it, I, I'm trying to kind of keep all those ideas in the, in, you know, that I'm actually working against my brain at some level. Yeah. That my brain wants to get me from home to work as quickly and conveniently. And I, well, actually, that's not true. Not as quick as convenient. My brain wants to get me from work, from home to work, using as as few calories as possible right. in thinking, right? right? So, which is why little things, I remember uh, reading on some stuff on habit once, and they said, that if you want to know how powerful habit is, make a decision before you go to bed at night to clean your teeth with your other hand in the morning. So if you're right-handed, clean it, your teeth with your left hand and see how many days it takes you to actually be successful as that. <laughs> right. Because you wake up in the yeah. morning and you just go through, and you're halfway through cleaning your teeth with your right hand, you remember... Oh wait a minute! Yeah, <laughs> I was going to try and do this. Right. So, so we've got. So our brain is working against us seeing things. Our our lives are becoming very familiar to us. And and so there's a challenge even in the opening of this. One day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer. We know that this is the sort of thing that two Jewish guys would have done every yeah. single day. There's a challenge of the Holy Spirit's disruption in the story which is quite simply, what if you treated your regular day like a mission strip? What if you treated your regular day and tried to see things that maybe are always there to see? Yeah. And and maybe maybe need changing how you see them. Because to, to push into your teaching a little bit more from the weekend, I was thinking then when you talked about, for example, how do we deal with racism? Yeah. Right? Uh, and, and Gladwell's sort of work around these IAT tests that you talked yeah. about that, that that helps us, uh, how do we draw connections? And, and these are deep in our unconscious, these ideas that that I am biased in particular ways. Um, well, they can become normal to me as well. Yes, right? totally. I, I can become desensitized totally. to my lack of care for the other or for, for the diverse 
other yep. um, and, and not even see. So we hear people quite regularly, well, I'm, I don't think I'm racist, right? Yeah. Uh, because actually, going back to this, my life works out in a particular way and there's no challenges in my life for, that give me opportunity to address how I actually think about the other. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, you know, and that is a lot of, and I mean, when he's looking at the IAT exam, like we're talking Gladwell, Gladwell, we're talking like milliseconds difference. Like that's how fast your brain is working to make some of these assumptions. Like we're not talking like, oh, that took me three seconds longer. That's pretty obvious. Like we're, we're talking, people are, if they're aware and they're trying to be quick to make sure they don't have it it's still like milliseconds but that's how fast we're making these patterns together and and i love what you said because he even was talking to a west sider after one of the services and he said they were talking at their work a lot about the invisible diversity and the invisible that you don't often see which is in our brain and how we're thinking about stuff um and how you often don't see it and hear about it because of the the lack of opportunities and things that you're you know you're kind of talking about with 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 how we're working this out and i and i thought it was fascinating um of how they were even wrestling through at their at their work level yeah how people are perceiving each other the unspoken diversities the invisible diversities the differences and, and how that we then combat them you know according to gladwell is we got to get in a room with those yes. people like and i think there's a i'm trying to remember where i read this but there's a story and it maybe it was a book that you recommended to me but it's about the the kkk and a community leader uh with and that was doing a bunch of trying yes. to reconcile this it's a movie uh yes you keep, were telling me the movie talking, yeah as, as you think <laughs> about that but it, it's it's what's jumped into my mind because what happens in the premise of that because i also there's a book that talks about the story that was turned into a movie um but what happens in that story is this this um this Ku Klux Klan leader finds themselves working with um you know with someone of an African American ethnicity mm-hmm. and as they learn about how they and they share in life together mm-hmm. they actually become best friends or not best friends but they become good friends and they start mm-hmm. to achieve a ton of racial reconciliation work in mm-hmm. the school system if i'm remembering the story yeah. correctly in this but it doesn't happen because someone has a convincing argument for this KKK leader. Mm-hmm. It's because this other person is is willing to invest in their life together and yes. they share it. And that's actually when you start to see yeah. the change. Yeah, the, the book is called The Best of Enemies. Yes. And uh, and they did turn it into a movie. I think it's... I I think it's available on Amazon Prime. Okay. Other streaming services are available. <laughs> no and, sponsorships here. Yeah, man. it's true. But but if you go to the other streaming services, you don't you don't get to see that film. True. Um, so yeah, it's um, and actually, I mean, you're right in in the actual in the story, um, the the KKK. Uh, I'm trying to remember what his he's. I think he's a local president of his local group. Yeah. Uh, they become friends, and and the. Um, What's in the lady's name is Anne Atwater. She actually gives the eulogy at his funeral. At the yes, end, like which is fascinating ill. when you um, think about it. But it's but it's all about the story of humanizing. Yes, and and so what happens so often in the world is that we in instinctually almost, and that's probably the terrifying word to use, but instinctively dehumanize so that we can hold distance. Totally, uh, and which is what really struck me when you were talking at the weekend was. Number one, this idea that you have learned how to see. Yes. Uh, and, and, and in this case, perhaps learned not to see. Yeah. You go here every day to pray. 
And and we've missed this guy. We know who he is, but somehow we've started to ignore him. But then you get this, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Peter said, look at us. The man gave them. You've got like this kind of, like a standoff from old Western movies. (laughs) Everyone's staring at each other. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Who's going to pull the trigger first? But they're all staring at each other. And and this is creating visibility, and yeah. it's the first step. And, and I mean, that film, Best of Enemies, is a great, a great reference to actually bring up at that point to watch what happens where where the the, the genius of the negotiator who just puts them at the same table. Yes, you claim to have nothing in common, but I wonder if humanity will win. And at some level, that's the premise of the movie. Yeah, can humanity overwhelm hatred? Yeah, um, and and I think. It's a huge. I mean, this story, this story and act is so resolute in its, in the way it presents that to us. Yeah. That that this this man becomes part of this community as a result of that. It, it's it's stunning work. I, but and again, go back to this point about the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is disrupting our lives, we've got to be careful and not turn this story simply into. This is a story about a man being healed. Yes. And that's the only thing we learn about this is that God heals people. At some level, Acts, I think, is calling us to, well, you probably already think that because chapter three, right? So there's some pretty weird stuff happened already. Yes. And if you're still with us in Acts, totally. then you're open to the fact that God can do miraculous things. But what is this book trying to teach us beneath these things yeah. about our own lives? Yeah. Well, and this is where, and I have mentioned it many, many places before in probably conversations with people and in, in teaching, and it, it comes from Hugh Halter, who I also reference. But he talks about the Jesus of the mundane, mm. that I think, you know, we often look to the book of Acts and mm. say, look at all this disruption in these um, out-of-the-ordinary, what yes. we would call miraculous, you know, healings and, mm. and, and, and um, you know, experiences of God. Um, and then we skip over some of the extra piece that I think, you know, Acts is trying to help us mm. see to go, yeah, there absolutely is healing. God can work in these ways. But also don't miss what's yes. happening here with community being drawn together and yes. people seeing each other differently. Yes. And and all of these and the expansion of God's kingdom mm-hmm. to all sorts of people that you know maybe don't show up in in crazy ways, but just in the fact that mm-hmm. you know as you work through Acts, you see uh, you know Peter and Philip and uh, a bunch of different apostles in these different conver and Stephen in different places and mm-hmm. conversations yeah. that maybe we wouldn't label as extraordinary. Yes. But they're they're what God's doing, and it's in the day to day life and in this regular occurrence, as they walk to the temple, that the Holy Spirit wants to show up, that wants mm. to disrupt, yes. that wants to you know to poke and challenge and 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 expand. And, and I think even and that's where I'm just uh, finding the reference here because uh, Peter then I mean the whole sermon that that rolls off it is pretty. Uh, is pretty intense. Yes, and, uh, and and Peter and John end up in in jail because of this, <laughs> um, and and yet that has the impact of actually growing the church. It's all it's all very complex. Yes, uh, in terms of like as a, a general church planting strategy, it, it seems like quite a lot of mess. Um, and this this notion of the resurrection of Jesus. Right? So you see this by the beginning, but but sorry, by the end of the sermon, the beginning of chapter four. It's this notion of the resurrection of Jesus, which is fundamentally changing how the apostles think. If yes. God can raise Jesus from the dead, maybe he can uh, raise this man to walk. 
And if this man's able to walk, what this says about all of us, this man's now joining the community. So they end up in, in, in prison and there's all this, well, in jail, and there's this big meeting about about how this how this works. But then you get this line, uh, verse 19 of chapter 4, um, where Peter and John say, which is right in God's eyes? Yep. To listen to you or to him, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Um and I love that, just that constant connection of this eyes thing is what, you know, are we, are we able to be seen by the person who needs help? You know, so yeah. Peter and John are there to be seen. Uh, that is important, I think. I think presence um, is important. And I say this particularly on the back end of a, of a, a shutdown during pandemic. I wonder if some of us have underplayed how important presence is totally being present to places totally is a a a very functional component of being used by god and and i don't want to sound like a luddite and be against anything online we're we're talking on a podcast right now okay but there is a a question for the people of god about how much presence do i need to have right you know and then presence could be digital so hear me right on that but but it's very difficult for God to use you if you're not present. Totally. Yep. <laughs> so, so, so the first version, the first seeing is that the person who needs help has to see you. You then have to see the person that needs help. There has to be a two-way in that process. Then everybody else has to see that, hey, wait a minute, this is the guy that used to beg on the temple. Nourish, now he's walking. God's clearly doing something. But beneath all of these layers of people seeing, there is what does God see and what does God want to happen? And I love this notion that our first responsibility, therefore, is to do what's right in God's eyes. Yes. So that we can, then can be seen rightly by everybody else. And I, I mean, we, we're probably overplaying Luke's language of eyes by this point, but I still think it's fun to sort of see how how much seeing there is in these chap- in this chapter and a half. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, there's, you know, you can even look back into, and we were talking about this before the sermon, mm. you know, in into Luke 4 and some of the contrasting of those two stories when mm. you lay them side by side and how you start to see similarities, and then, well, then we really started to, you know, see all of the language mm. of eyes and overlap and all the eyes that are on Jesus and what's yes. happening, and, and so it's, I mean, it, it's fascinating to begin to look at that, and, and I think that's part of you know, the wrestling with scripture mm. in that sense is to say, okay, how do we see, <laughs> no pun intended, or what can we see within, <laughs> you know, with, within, within the text that, yes. that continues to push us forward into, you know, into what God is calling for us as a community. Mm. So I even think, you know, as I reflect upon the, the teaching and what we were kind of wrestling through, and I briefly mentioned it and alluded to it, and mm. but but I think it has implications for us as a church community. I, I mean, I, I think churches have done probably too good of a job over their uh, over their history of putting people together that are the same. Doing you know how they set up ministry is. Yeah everyone who thinks and looks and sees like you well we're going to clump you together and because that's going to make everyone happy and you're going to like that and that's going to be easy and that's an easy sell to get people to come to yes it's a harder sell in the church and in programming to say no that's not how we're going to do that we're going to we're going to expand how we think about sharing in life together mm. and who we even see yes. in the room around us is not just the people that you think are exactly like mm. you but in fact potentially even the opposite yeah. of who you just find yourself with and yeah. who are who's near you yeah. 
and who are you willing to acknowledge? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and and that becomes a real stretch for us inside of the church, but yes. and outside as well. Yeah, I think it was, it was I think it was Groucho Marx who said he would never be part of a club that would allow him to be a member, right? And um, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, but it, I I I mean, it's a humorous comment, and I, and I I always I always think about that, but. But there is a level where if you look around your church and everybody is like you, you may not be in a church. Totally. Um, and and I think that's what you're seeing being constructed in the early chapters of Acts is exactly that, that you're seeing a church being constructed. And you know all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. That's for... 32 like this like the holy spirit has done some remarkable work here to take all of this diversity and bring it to a place that these people can be in common with one another it's quite it's quite something but i was interested that you know i'm trying to think when i'm looking ahead to teaching this next weekend yeah um you turn to chapter five and the question of seeing in a different way is now raised because now we're beginning, you know, this question was asked a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, all this stuff is very inspiring what we see in Acts, but but what happens with this sort of stuff? Right. By chapter five, all of a sudden, lies start entering the church and the apostles' ability to see through the lies becomes quite an important component. And although it doesn't get framed that way in terms of seeing, but there's there's a revelation to it that, that, that you know, we, we move from, what is right in God's eyes? Who do we see? How are we seen? To then, what do we look like? And you right. get Ananias and Sapphira trying to look like yeah. something that they are not. So right. again, this sort of image of seeing is still floating around uh, that, that needs some thinking and reflection reflection on. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, yeah, it's, it's a great point because it's a, you know, it's two sides of the coin, right. In that sense of, of how are we seeing others, but then also this call of, well, no, how are we, Yes. you know, how are yes. we even, how are we even seen in that sense and, and, and contrasting the two of those things together. Good. And I think this is where, you know, even the religiosity that Jesus, you know, um, calls out when it during his teaching it is exactly this type of thing that I think you'll probably start to potentially unpack mm. in, you mm. know, in, in acts five is this, yeah. you know, you say you're all of these things, but you're, and you, you might even appear to be all of those things, mm. but you're not actually seeing people in those ways, right? Like mm. you're not actually doing the things that you're supposed to, you might appear some way, but that's, yeah, that's not the only thing that matters when it comes yes. to what God wants to do in the world. And that's, I mean, I think that's a big deal because I think there's a lot of people that mm. we, we would focus on and say, wow, they look great. Aren't, I mean, you let's get really, let's get really, you know, kind of messy here. Mm. There's been a lot of Christian leaders that have fallen mm -hmm. recently and some that have been highly, highly talked about and mm -hmm. respected and in big positions of power in you know quite large churches all of these mm -hmm. things that if you asked people they a lot of them would say well they appear 
they look like they've got I'm yes. what I what I see yes. looks like the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not the only thing that matters. I I in my notes for for this coming Sunday in teaching um <laughs> yeah I I I am wondering about that whole question. Diane Landberg, who is, uh, you know, Langberg's helped a lot of people who have been through kind of trauma situations in churches, and and she's working with a lot of the victims of some of the big meltdowns of Christian ministries. Right. Um, She says this, we do not want to see the truth about abusive leaders because it threatens our beliefs that the leader is good, that the system has good purpose. Tragically, we would rather believe a reassuring lie than an utterly inconvenient and disturbing truth. Hmm. Um, and and again, so this whole language of seeing, and this is what I find fascinating yeah. about Acts 5, is that it is deeply inconvenient to the church to have to deal with Ananias and Sapphira. Totally. You know, like, oh my goodness, they're telling lies. But actually, Peter is able to see that what is more damaging, cancerous to the church is the lie. Yeah. So so he he heads up face on and says, "No, this is wrong, right? You know." And he yeah. and, and he points out, "God knows what you're doing." Well, right? and this is and this is the this is where we start to even to dip back into questions that have come out as we've wrestled through some of our values around Jesus centered. Mm. This is where you start to see that stuff coming out to go. Yes. No, it's it's not a free for all. Yes, it's not. This is here's something that we see go. No, that's not how God wants this to work, and it's not going to work if we're going to continue and just let this slide. So we have yeah. to call it out. We have to yeah. say, no, if we're going to keep moving towards Jesus, mm. sometimes we're going to take these things yeah. head on. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. absolutely. And, and, that, and I, so I think it's interesting as a sermon series to sort of step back from some of those uh, stories in, uh, kind of up close and step back and realize, oh, there is a picture being painted here for us totally. of of the church and the yeah. challenges that face the church. And and I think even, and you hear it in the questions that were asked during the, 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 or the in the dialogue that was raised uh, on Sunday morning, but okay, so how do we work this out practically? And there's so, and I'm as I'm reflecting, we said this a couple of weeks ago that, that sometimes after the dialogue, you think, oh, I better respond. Always so, after, you know, always but after. But I, I think that, that question of how do we deal with this practically, one of the first practical questions is how much disruption am I willing to tolerate? Yeah. And I think that is the Holy Spirit question, actually. Yeah. How much disruption? And if it's not much, then there's all, there's almost a notion in Acts that you set the parameters, right? How how disrupted are you willing to be? And, 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 and you then, you don't put parameters on the Holy Spirit, but you do put parameters on your own involvement yeah. with it. So I think... You know, towards the end of the summer, we'll get towards Acts 10, and Peter, you know, has this vision of yeah. you know, all of these animals, and he hears yeah. his voices, take and eat. And he says, oh, I can't eat that because that's unclean. Here's his box, right? Yeah. And then he's then he's given an option. Don't call unclean what God has called clean. So you can knock down the walls of this box if you want, Peter. And, and now it becomes the option to Peter to choose how much disruption he's willing to to take and that's a very practical question actually uh, for all of us right do you, you know yeah you, i think i think i knew I, I mentioned it in one of the services yesterday you know if you if you want to be home from church every sunday by noon then don't be open to the holy spirit at some, at some level and i do and that doesn't mean because our services go on and on but it might mean that because the service ends and you ask somebody how are you 
Totally. <laughs> totally. And it might that might be all it is for the Holy Spirit to work in your situation to help somebody and be there for somebody. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, and not to get too far ahead into the book of Acts, but I I I agree with what you're saying cuz what we what we're going to see at at different points is them even discussing these types of things to say, you know, it, it's it, it, you know, Peter with the Sumerian mm you know, and, and this family, and, you know, I had to mention it a few weeks back in my, in a teaching that I did there too, but they're going, no, God's doing something over here and they are going to have an option again to say, well, do we think God can actually work in those people and in those places? Definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But that's, but that's the, but that's the question that they then have to, they then have to answer. And I, and that's why I think what you're saying is, is great because I think there's a sense of, you know, how open we are to, where God can work and how God mm. can work it will affect how receptive we are mm. and how open we are to even the Holy Spirit's work in us and mm. in through us. And I do think 100%. that we can, without getting into a completely different podcast, but we 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 can stifle that. We can mm. we can say no. We're gonna we can limit it based mm. on where we draw if we draw lines. Well, so, in, well, and place, that's, in those places, that's what I mean when I say. You know, I, I humorously say definitely not. But at some level, the question of angst to us is, are we willing to let the Holy Spirit deal with our definitely nots? Right? Yes. <laughs> and uh, are we willing to go, okay, God, uh, here's my definitely not. Is it a definitely not that I should be keeping, or is it one that I should be giving away? You yeah. Because there are definitely nots. You see this. You know, there's... The, the, the question of justice is huge in Acts. Like, you know, the, the, we saw it. There's, they shared everything. So they're, they're definitely committed to helping the poor. They're definitely committed to preaching the Word of God. They're definitely committed to being a Jesus-shaped people. Um, and they're not willing to compromise on that. They yeah. said it. You know, the, the, there is a definitely not that the apostles have. That we're not going to stop talking about Jesus. And the, 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 yeah. the, the legal authorities go, well, you could, should kind of stop. And they say definitely not. And it seems that the Holy Spirit supports that definitely not. Totally. But then occasionally they say definitely not, and the Holy Spirit comes and says, well, we're going to reshape that definitely not by heading off for a day trip to <laughs> to Samaria, or we're going to yeah. go and see this uh, this man called Cornelius, or, yeah. hey, i got someone new for you. Their name is Paul. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, talk, talk about being challenged, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, hey, this guy that used to kill all of you, I've got him for you, yes. and he's going to join you. Absolutely. So yeah, so I mean, there's there's lots for us to unpack, and maybe that's where we we, we hold it for now because yeah. I think we're gonna teach all of the teaching content <laughs> yeah. for the whole summer before it's we get true. there if we keep going here. It's true. But I'm excited to see where this continues to lead us as a church community and how we continue to wrestle through. Um, and, and it, yeah, like I said, see the subtleties even of Acts and what it's calling us to beyond just uh, we want a church that wants to see the big miraculous, but rather we want to be a church that's wrestling through what does it mean to follow Jesus in expecting God to move in the big ways and being open to that and how we participate, but also in the ways that allows us, you know, to see the beggar, to see the, to see the single person that maybe doesn't get seen and how that has an impact on the expansion of God's kingdom.